Colleagues, Anthony McKay, President and CEO of the National Centre on Education and the Economy, bringing you the second in a series of interviews with leading educational thinkers and researchers. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Charles Fidel. And Charles is the founder and chairman of the Centre for Curriculum Redesign. He is visiting scholar at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. He serves as the chair of the Education Committee BIAC with OECD. He is an author, uh, particularly noted for his work around 21st century skills, but as a leading thinker and researcher in the area of AI and related technologies. Recently, Charles co-edited a book called Four-Dimensional Education, but it's one of a number of publications. Charles, welcome. Thank you, Tony. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. This uh, is a book that has had a huge impact internationally around really what we want all young people to know and to be able to do in a 21st century environment, but in an environment now that is so often characterised as being an age of AI and related technologies. You're about to release a second book. Correct. Well, this first book, of course, was uh, trying to explain what was changing in the world. And we all know the difficulties we're all facing as a humanity, from global warming to financial instabilities to inequities and so on. We're all facing enormous problems. Hmm. On top of which, technology can act as a disruptor. Technology, in essence, is agnostic and amoral. It does what humans make it do. So with the emergence of artificial intelligence, or re-emergence to be precise, because we had the first wave in the 80s and now there's a second wave that's, uh, that's caught on, it certainly begs the question with even more alacrity about what should we be learning in an age of AI? This first book that you've shown is describing the knowledge, but also competencies that are needed to succeed yeah. in life and work. So skills, character, meta-learning. Skills as in how you use your knowledge, character in, as in how you behave and engage in the world, and meta-learning, how you reflect and adapt. But above and beyond that, we need to dig more deeply in the question of the impact of AI. The impact of AI on occupations, mm. on life itself. Mm. So the what of education changing because of AI but also the affordances of AI. You know, how could AI be used to help us teach better, better adaptive learning tools and the like. Say an extra word then about the way in which you now think about the implications of AI and related technologies on work, life, quite frankly, the purpose of education. Well, in a sense, it's only accelerating and heightening a shift that we have started seeing uh, even in the past decades. It was first pushed by communication and transportation technologies, not automation, but communication and transportation technologies have allowed globalization to prosper. And of course, we saw in recent times the backlash of unfettered globalization. So yeah. we're all trying to find the right equilibrium as countries and as individuals. On top of this initial wave, we're seeing automation um, whether it's robotics as a physical embodiment or AI as a virtual embodiment. And that is forcing us to rethink, well, if I can 
have agents, intelligent agents, do things for me or find things for me, what should I actually know? Hmm. What is essential knowledge? What are core concepts I should know so that I can leverage the AI rather than be left behind by the AI? Well, let me just check. Before we go to the question about what should I know, the question about AI and the nature of the human condition. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have a view about therefore a repurposing of education in a way that addresses what so many people talk about. And that is, I want to make sure that learning produces first-class humans, not second-class robots. Absolutely. Uh, that, has, that is actually the, the affordance of technology, whether it's uh, the invention of the wheel or the book or even uh, script or whatever. Uh, technology has always used in concert with the human intelligence. And the old uh, debate in anthropology about, you know, is it the tool or is it intelligence first? Well, it's a feedback loop between the two. Hmm. The moment we developed a, a prehensile, prehensile thumb, we were able to do all sorts of other things. And so we have to look at AI or any technology in that light if used properly, if used wisely. I know it's a big if. Hmm. But technology is an accelerant of human development, again, if used wisely. Let me take K-12 education. AI, related technologies, the knowledge that now all young people should have. A fairly big topic. Can certainly, you have a go at it? Certainly, certainly. So knowledge itself, of course, is not immutable. It has changed throughout the centuries. We do not teach Latin and Greek routinely as we used to even 100 years ago. But that said, there's an acceleration of what matters. Yep. And to pay attention to the, the what, we have to really think about it um, you know, in a very careful way, line by line. We cannot make gross generalizations saying, well, this entire sector needs to be lopped off. Generally speaking, the reality is much more nuanced. So for instance, why so much trigonometry in an age of data science? Can we rebalance things? Why so much traditional disciplines and no room left for technology and engineering? We talk about STEM, but we don't do much technology and engineering, if at all. Why not entrepreneurship? Why not social sciences? Why not wellness? All the things that matter for a broad definition of our knowledge domain. The, the, the issue that always emerges when we have this conversation is the unhelpful battle and this is the way in which it's positioned, of knowledge versus skills. There's already the unhelpful <laughs> battle about knowledge versus knowledge, you know. Right. Um, uh, people defending the knowledge that they're familiar with and the one that they're in love with, irrespective of whether it still matters, and contriving all sorts of reasons for why it should remain. Then, of course, there's the false dichotomy of knowledge versus skill. We've always been very vocal about the fact that you don't acquire skills without an underlying base of knowledge. You don't learn critical thinking in thin air. It has to be based on something. All we're saying is that the something better be modernized and yes. relevant, relevant, that's the key word, rather than merely theoretical and antiquated. In, in this country and in countries where we have people who are listening to this conversation, the work that's going on around curriculum renewal and the importance of making sure that we identify these competencies and address them appropriately, 
the fact that we need to rethink the nature of the disciplines of knowledge and new disciplines are emerging, right? This is actually serious work, but it's enormously complex and difficult work. Are we making progress? Very slowly. Um, let's say, let me put it this way. The, the progress is happening far more slowly than the reality requires. That's the sobering, uh, the sobering part about it. But it's also fraught with risk, right? It requires a lot of political courage uh, on, the ba on, on the part of politicians and parents and academics and all the parties involved. So it's really hard to say, you know what, the old model doesn't fully work, we need to augment it. Mm -hmm. Because the moment you want to remove something which is necessary to free up time and space for the new things, mm -hmm. you will have all the vested interests battling you against removal of anything even if it's no longer necessary, even if it's become very obsolete. So progress is taking place at a snail's pace. The thing that gives me courage, though, is to remind myself that progress is always an S-curve. And so it takes time to build momentum, and then it starts accelerating at some point. If we take countries like Estonia, Finland, British Columbia, Japan, South Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, I don't know that they would make judgments that they are making advances at a snail's pace. Let's say it's all relative right. to the advances of technologies, yeah. right, and dislocation of jobs. Of course, for education systems, they're moving quite aggressively, assertively, courageously. But from what is required to handle the uh, rapid change in technology, perhaps not sufficiently. I mean, I'll remind you that at worst, technological capabilities are doubling every 18 months. At best, they're doubling every three and a half months, depending on what technology you're looking at. So Which the rate is, of yeah. change is what we're talking about. Absolutely. So is the rate of change matter, is the, does the rate of change match up with the rate of change of education? I want to come back to this because therefore it has huge implications for how we think about redesigning our learning system. Yeah? But just before I do that, I've often heard you talk about the importance therefore in the what, in the knowledge space, of a T-shaped curriculum. Meaning? Well, the IBM has posited, rightly so, that success in work and life requires us to be T-shaped. By T-shaped, they mean broad and deep, not one or the other. In other words, we acquire through our education not just a specialization that can be improved and changed over time, yes. but also a broad base of knowledge from which to draw upon, and both are needed. If you will, in a world that's uncertain and complex and ambiguous, the best hedge about that uncertainty is to be versatile, like a Swiss army knife. So you have an array of tools, not necessarily the best in class for a particular task, but it can be drawn upon and refined as the task requires. So in essence, if there's a preposterous idea here, is that we should all becoming be more like Renaissance humans mm. that are both broad and deep, mm. and we would be poets and physicists and painters, not one or the other, and draw upon these capabilities as life throws complexities at us. Let me take you to, therefore, the implications of AI and related technologies in not just the what of learning, but the how of learning. We must now be thinking very differently about the teaching and learning process 
Well, yes and no. In other words, it's a broad conversation first about the use of technology in education as an augmentation mechanism. There's a lot that remains to be done even without touching the adaptive nature or even the adaptive AI nature of a learner. So just scaffolding a teacher so that they can deal with the complexity that is becoming more and more required. So in essence, how would you deal with embedding creativity in mathematics and in history and in whatever if you don't have a tool that helps you keep track of things and the students' progress and their proficiency levels and so on? So there's this augmentation aspect first and foremost about technology. Then on top of this, when it becomes student-facing rather than teacher-augmenting, then we can start adding adaptive elements. You know, I learn probably differently from you do, and these adaptive elements at first will give us an array of choices based on our answers. But then, and only then, the sophistication increases with AI, where AI can learn the better ways through which we learn and eventually help us improve and present things to us in that way. So it's a further down um, proposition. It's not an immediate proposition. It can help with all sorts of diagnostics, but also lower level tools like uh, essay grading and things of that nature. Understood. So let me ask you this. The implications, therefore, for the teaching profession are considerable, and I'll return to that. But the implications for how you design the learning environment and then how you design the learning system, the wider learning system. As you well know, NCE has done an incredible amount of work in terms of international benchmarking, high-performing learning systems, and we understand through what we call the nine building blocks the design features of a high-performing learning system. Now we're talking about a learning system that is less at this point. It's not, it's both end. It is optimising the current paradigm as we think about the future and therefore think about how we redesign our learning systems to be adequate to that future, an AI and related technologies future. So if you had to say, right, I now want to think about the wider learning system to think about how I redesign that system so it's the most enabling and hospitable for really powerful learning, what would you say? Well, as you said, it's a system. That means many, many different branches and, and uh, loops between various elements. But there is one element in particular that has an enormous amount of leverage that is underappreciated. It is university entrance requirements. If you start looking at all the, uh, the complexities of that system, you realize that in the end, everyone is obeying to a set of rules that have become partially obsolete and that relate to what, necess- what is necessary for success in university, hmm. not necessarily success in work and life. And it's biasing backward the curricula and standards that we have in K-12. through And it's, of course, freezing what teachers are allowed to do because of the assessments that go hand in hand with that system. And, of course, parents want to respond to that demand and administrators want to respond to that demand, and so the whole system is paralyzed by this one one aspect. So if we were to change university entrance requirements and reflect a learner profile that is much broader, much wiser than merely some elements of traditional knowledge, then we would change uh, the system to adapt to the new requirements of 
work and life. So if we had more time, we'd explore more of the interrelationship between the system dimensions and how they are obviously interdependent. But your argument is if there's a point of leverage that I could really focus on, it would be what we now see as being the process of assessment, of qualifications, certification, leading into selection for further and higher education. This this could be the game changer that would help us to redesign the system as a whole. Precisely. It it is unfortunately a complicated one to change as well. Um, Depending on the country, it's more or less top down. In many cases, it's actually very bottom up and it's uh, quite quite frozen because of uh, traditional dynamics that maintain it in place. Okay, let me ask you this finally. Let's return to the question about the teaching profession, because so often I hear the stories that are we talking about teacher bots? In other words, it's not just a question about uh, determining what we now see as being the goals of education and the purpose of education in an AI world, nor just the question about the what or the how or how we are able to ensure that the learning system that we design is going to be appropriate and adequate for this future. But the profession is centre stage in this work. So how would you position the future of the educator profession? Well, teachers matter more than ever. And the demands that are put on humanity are going to place even more demands on the quality of teaching. If you think about it, teaching can be the ultimate and the most difficult profession to automate or replace or to automate or um, offshore for that Mm. matter. Mm. Because teaching is supposed to be a high skill profession, which is also highly uh, personal in terms of touch. And so the combination of the two makes it really hard to automate or offshore. However, if teaching is only about uh, lecturing in an impersonal way, well, that's YouTube for you or equivalent. And so clearly uh, we're needing teachers that are all the more capable of high-scale, high-personalization, and to help them get there could be augmented by specific narrow tools for tracking, for simplifying some of the more tedious tasks and so on, as we have in any profession. Charles, uh, I want to thank you for this conversation. My pleasure. We're looking forward uh, to the release of the new book. You have been supporting us in our work here at NCE and throughout multiple countries. Thank you very much indeed. My pleasure, Tony. Thank Thank you you so much. much.